0: Well, welcome to all of you at all of our churches. So good to have you today as we are in our fourth week of our series entitled, The Last King. And um, that last song that we sang at all of our campuses, no other king has a love like this. Oh my goodness. And especially when I hear that opening line on that first song or at the beginning of the song where he says, no other king would kneel to wash our feet. No other king would spread a table for his enemies, and to realize that was me—it's just absolutely astounding when you think about that. Is what our King is about. No other King has a love like this, and um, I—I'll never forget the first time I heard that song. In fact, this whole series is built up on that idea—that there is no other King who just absolutely loves us in a way that is just incomprehensible. And then the whole thing is our king will what? Reign forever. No other king rose from the dead and our king's gonna reign forever. It's just absolutely astounding. In fact, it's so astounding. Um, I said at the uh, nine o'clock service, we're gonna close out our series next week with that song and our bands don't know that yet, but now they do. And so, uh, and I really want you to lean in as we sing that song, just realizing this is, this is what we mean when we say Jesus is the last king. He's going to reign forever. It's, it's an enduring throne that will be for all eternity. And therefore, man, it's just amazing when you think about his attributes as a king. And we'll be talking about that today. So let's pull out those talk notes, however you use them, either digital on our app or by paper and uh, your Bibles. And let's jump into today's conversation entitled The Last King. Now, as we've been talking about in this series over the last few weeks, um, we've just kind of been reminding you that there are some terms in the New Testament that we've heard to describe Jesus, and they're often the terms that we think about when we think about Jesus. They were terms like this, savior, forgiver, and friend. And while it is true and while it's important to understand that Jesus is our Savior, forgiver, and friend, as we've talked about for the past few weeks, it's just as important and true to understand Jesus as our Messiah, our Christ, and our Lord. Because whenever we recognize Jesus as our Messiah, our Christ, and our Lord, we have to acknowledge Jesus as our King. And whenever we acknowledge Jesus as king, it requires something more, it requires something different, it requires something more than just believing that Jesus was and is. It requires a commitment to surrender, it requires a commitment to follow someone, that someone being Jesus. Now, while the term king is not a term that we would use to describe Jesus, if you had asked a first century Jew hey, what comes to mind when you think about Jesus? They would have immediately mentioned the word king. And here's why. Because they believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah or the long-awaited king. He was the king of the Jewish people. And they were absolutely right. But their expectations of what this king, what this Messiah was going to do, they were so wrong. In fact, those wrong expectations were part of the motivation for why some of his closest disciples were following him. See, their hope was that this Jewish king, that he would be setting up his earthly kingdom, and they wanted to make sure that they were close to this circle of power. So it was really hard for them to understand that Jesus was a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom in mind. See what they didn't understand was that Jesus is the king who came to reverse the order of everything, not just some things, but everything. And one of the primary things that we miss that Jesus came to reverse is how we relate to God and how we relate and treat other people. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is very clear of how he's reversing the order of things when it comes to our relationship with people. In fact, here's how he says this in John chapter 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you. And oftentimes we read that and we don't understand that this is a command from a king who's setting up a new kingdom. So here's the thing that many of us not thought about whenever we read John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, which means not to keep this command would make it a sin. So what is the command? He says, a new command I give you, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And all of a sudden, when you understand that, you have a whole new definition of sin. Because to not keep this new command means that I have sinned against God if I'm choosing to be part Of this new kingdom. He says, So a new command I give you love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. He says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So this new command uh, is the command of this king of this new kingdom for those in his kingdom. And Jesus says, Hey, if you're gonna follow me, this is the command that you must live by. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I mean, there's nothing complicated about understanding that, right? But this is so challenging to live out. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you've got to love people the way that I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, Christ-like love. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. He says, Christ-like love is the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. And for most of us, that is so counter to what we've thought or what we've been taught. Most of us have never thought of this new command, not doing it as a sin if I don't do it. To not love others as Christ loved me as a sin if I don't do that. And you know why? Because for most of us, our relationship with God has been based upon do we obey his rules or not. It was all this vertical thing. But Jesus comes along and he reverses the order of of everything and he says, Hey, the distinguishing mark, the evidence that you truly are a follower or not is Christ-like love to others. So with this thought in mind, I want you to think about this question. Which is easier, rule-keeping or relationship building? I mean, which is easier? Which is easier, following a series of concrete, um, just rituals and routines in your life? Or is it easier to personally connect and understand and invest in other people that are around you? I mean, especially those people that disagree with you or have a completely different world view than you. And I bring this up because here's what I know. The gravitational pull of every individual and every organization is toward rule keeping. I mean, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in whatever organization, including churches, I can promise you that it's always easier to get pulled toward rule keeping. This is the path of least resistance. This is the route that's the last, less, least messy. Because if we make our rules, then you know what the rules are. If you know what the policies are, and you gotta stay within those rules. In fact, which one you think is easier Here's kind of the giveaway on that. Look at the number of policies or rules that people have in an organization or in a family or in a, a, any kind of business. See, anytime you see an organization that believes that policies are the answers to every problem, then you have just stumbled on a rule-keeping mentality. Now, here's the thing. Organizations are not the only ones who struggle with this. The gravitational pull of every religion is toward rule keeping instead of relationship building. And here's why. Because whenever I make these rules, then I feel like I'm in control of rules. I feel like I'm in control with rituals and with routines. See, it's so much easier. Think about it this way. It is so much easier to believe in God, that God loves me, if I do A and B and C for him, and then everything stays between me and God. That's so much simpler than relationships. Because see... Religion has the mindset that God has these rules and if I do A, B, and C, that's following him and then I'm good with God. And then when I don't follow these rules, A, B, and C, and D, and those things, then I have to apologize to God and then I'm good with God again and then God will bless me again because I'm in good with God. And the result is, is many people who call themselves Christians, they have created this false religious belief that says... I don't have to love with Christ-like love. These people are exceptions to Christ-like love as long as I'm good with God, as long as I keep these rules. Now, here's why that's such an easy trap to fall into. It's much easier to check off this list of rules, this list of routines to make God happy than it is to love the people who are so difficult to love and require extra measures of grace. And many of you, At different points in your life, you have been on the receiving end, haven't you, of religious rule-keeping people. It's why some of you struggled with the church or have struggled with the church because you, you ran into these people who saw no issue with saying that, hey, I love God so much, I love God so much, I love God so much, while being unloving to you in a vicious kind of way even at times at the same time. Now, the problem with that is Jesus makes it very clear in the passage we just looked at, John chapter 13, he makes it very clear that it isn't okay if his followers are mistreating other people, if his followers are not loving one another as he loved us. Because Jesus is saying, listen, this new command means I came to be a relationship builder, not a policy, not a rule maker. Now, here's why this matters so much to us to understand that Jesus comes along and gives us this brand new command for those of us who follow him in this new kingdom. And that is this. While we get to choose whether we follow Jesus, we don't get to choose how we follow. We don't get to decide what the commands are. And Jesus said, the command is, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So if you choose to follow Jesus, yes, you're embracing Jesus as your savior and your forgiver and your friend, but you're also embracing him as your leader and your king, which means you're now on his agenda. He gets to call the shots. See, that's what kings do. They set the commands. Now... While it's easy to understand this command, it's a lot harder to live out. And fortunately, Jesus, he recognizes that you can't always follow this way if there's not trust. So Jesus invites us on this journey at different points of just understanding what it means to follow him. In fact, in week one of this conversation, we went into what this journey with Jesus looks like. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to that because it helps us understand how Jesus leads us into deeper and deeper trust to him. But here's the thing I want you to understand. At every point along the way in following Jesus, the point isn't actually to do what Jesus is asking us to do. The point of the journey is who we are becoming. Are we being transformed into Christ's image? Are we becoming more like our king? See, the whole point is whether we become like Our king who has come to change the way that we view everything. And this is why the apostle Paul, he urged the early Christ followers in Colossians. He says, I want you to choose to embrace this attitude, this characteristic of Jesus, this thing called love. And instead of just coming along to them and saying, okay, I want you to go love everybody. He says, okay, maybe you don't understand what love looks like. So Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to, I mean, the Apostle Paul comes along, takes the words of Jesus, and he says, I'm going to make it very practical to help you understand. And so in a letter called Colossians, here's what he says, love looks like on a person who follows Jesus. And here's the thing, I love how the message paraphrase makes this so easy to understand. So I'm going to unpack What this passage means from us, from the the message paraphrase. So it may look a little different than the version that you're looking at this morning. But if you brought your Bibles, you'll be able to follow along. If you got it on your devices, you can follow along there or even our apps um, where you can take notes there. So Colossians chapter three, beginning in verse 12, here's how the apostle Paul says, love looks like for those of us who follow Jesus. He says, so chosen by God for this new life of love. So you've entered into this new relationship with this new king who started a new kingdom, who gave us a new command in how to live in this kingdom. He says, so you are now chosen, called to live this life of love. He says, I want you to dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. So this is literally the Apostle Paul's way of saying, here's what life looks like when you live out this new command to love like Jesus lived and loved. This is what Christ-like love looks like when it's flowing out of your life. And then he gives us very specific details to show us what this love looks like. So look at what love looks like Jesus looks like when it's flowing through our lives. He says, it looks like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what do each one of these things mean? What does that mean for us to be a person of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Well, first of all, let's just break each one of these down. Compassion. Compassion is giving pause for the person's plight regardless of how they got there. I want you to make sure you understand that. Compassion is to give pause, to understand the person's plight, regardless of how they got there. It's caring more about who you are than what you have done. Compassion is empathy. It's not sympathy. It's not just feeling sorry for somebody. Let me kind of give you an example of what we mean by compassion. So compassion would be this. It's, it's the student or the child who didn't do so well on a test, and and you know they could have done better on that test. In fact, they should have done better because they should have studied harder. So instead of initially saying, well, you should have worked harder, you should have studied harder like I told you to, I caught you wasting time so many times, and I kept telling you, you need to study harder, you need to start study harder, so you could have done better. No, no, no. Compassion says no, I pause to feel their plight. I pause to feel what they are feeling. Yes, at some point as a parent, you're gonna to need to tell them, hey, you should have studied harder. Here's how you could have done this better or done better on this test. But that's not what compassion does initially. Before we get to talking about this over here, I'm gonna show compassion for you, what you're feeling and what you're experiencing because you did not do well on the test. Who you are is more important than what you've done. So the apostle Paul is saying, I want you to be known as a group of individuals who pause to feel what other people are feeling before you start saying, hey, here's what you should have done or shouldn't have done. That no matter who a person is or what they're going through or what they're experiencing, you pause to feel what that person is going through. Now, can you imagine how that would change the view of the world toward the church? I mean, if we all paused, instead of jumping into judgment mode, when we see someone not, quote, living up to God's rules or God's standard, if we pause to think, what are they feeling? What are they experiencing? See, that's what love looks like. It looks like compassion. That's an expression of love. But not only should we be a person of compassion, he says, but love also looks like something else. It looks like kindness. Now, what is kindness? Let me just go ahead and say, kindness isn't niceness. Kindness and niceness are very, very different. See, niceness is passive. Kindness is active. See, you can be a very nice person and never take any action to help anyone. But kind people, what they do is they use their strength to help others, even when there's no obligation to do so. That's what kindness is. It's using my capacity to help others. It's it's using my capacity or my abilities to help others up, to rise up above where they're at even though I have no obligation to do that. And that's the key. Kindness means I do it, but I have no obligation. So that's what kindness is. I help you get up because I'm kind. I help you get out of the ditch that you were in. That's what compassion and kindness does. But that's not all that love looks like. The Apostle Paul says, also, it looks like humility. Now, all of us, we pretty much have an idea of what humility is, but humility in relationship to other people. See, humility in relationship to other people is seeing myself in proper perspective in my relationship to God and to other people. It's having this very accurate view of who and where I am in relationship to everybody else. Because see, humility doesn't mean I think less of myself than I should. No, humility means I think about myself less. In other words, I have an appropriate view of my smallness in the world. Because there's several billion people in this world, and I recognize that everybody in God's eyes, has the same value and worth. So what humility does, it allows me to approach you as a peer, that no matter who you are, what you do, or what you don't do, how much you have, how little you have, how young you are, how old you are, humility says, no, I see that we're all equal in God's eyes. We all have equal value, which is why this next attitude matters so much, and that's the attitude of gentleness. Because see, gentleness, it's the decision, and this is what love leads us to do, to make this decision to respond to you in light of your strengths and your weaknesses, instead of just responding to you out of my strengths. So gentleness means, if it's needed, I dial down my strength to meet you at your point of need. to to meet you where I can help you. So I'm not gonna use my strength to try to dominate you, to try to dominate the decision, to try to dominate the conversation or dominate the relationship in any kind of way. No, what I'm doing is I'm choosing to throttle back wherever I have the strength advantage so that I don't come across as condescending or diminishing or putting you down in any way so that we are communicating as equals so that you know that who you are Matters more than showing you how strong or how smart that I am. In fact, I think one of the greatest examples that I've ever heard of gentleness, of an example of gentleness, is, is, the, is the mother lion. It's the difference between a mother lion picking up her cub with her jaw to take that cub to safety or using that same jaw to attack her prey and to kill them. That's what gentleness is. It's using your strength for what's appropriate in the moment. And then the Apostle Paul, he gives us another word to describe what Christ-like love looks like on us, and it is this thing called patience. And I think most of us, we would all admit, oh, this is the one we struggle with. While we struggle with all of these, I think we struggle with patience the most because patience is simply a decision to move at your speed instead of mine. Except on the interstate. I'm just got to put that out there, right? So, um, but really, in real, so yeah, I was, I was driving to church this morning and I, I get to church and um, I, I get this, see this text from someone said, sorry for holding you up on the interstate. And so I guess there was this person I was behind and I was probably on them kind of tight. And um, anyhow, um, Finally, they got out of the way, and I was able to go. And I got this text from this person and said, um, hey, sorry, those of us who are turtles, we can't go as fast as some of the rest of you. And um, I'm like, oh, that's a person at church. And they even got my number, they knew who I was. So I gotta really start working on this thing, don't I? I'm like, I keep getting caught with this driving thing. And that was a state trooper, by the way. Anyhow, no, I just, (laughs) but here here in, in real life, patience is the decision to move at your speed instead of mine. It's to dial back, to gear down and adjust my speed to the needs of the people around me. So I don't want you to miss this. In fact, um, this is, we have this on the app for you so you don't miss this. Compassion is about how you react toward them. Kindness is about what you do for them. Humility is about how you see yourself in relationship to them. Gentleness is about how you use your strength for them. And patience is adjusting your speed. For them, See, that's what love looks like on you. That's what it looks like and what you do for other people when you love as Christ loved. But that's not all the apostle Paul said that love looks like. He impacts this even a little bit more in verse 13. Notice what he says. He says, be even-tempered. Wow, that's what love looks like. Love means I'm even-tempered. Have you ever been in those moments in your life or around a person in your life. I mean, they're just, they're so just reactive to everything. It's like, I mean, anything that happens is, man, they're just like emotions. There's always a reaction, emotional reactions, always the emotional reaction. They're up and down, up and down, always an emotional reaction. He goes, no, love looks like being even tempered because love is not trying to defend itself. It's not trying to protect itself. It's not trying to be the smartest person in the room or the strongest person in the room. Love is even tempered. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And I don't want you to miss this because some of you, you have a hard time loving like Christ loved. You have a hard time being even-tempered because you always are trying to be number one. You're not content with being in second place in anything. And think about this. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest type A high achievers you're ever going to meet, he's he's saying this. If you're ever going to love other people the way that Jesus loved, you have to intentionally choose to be content with being in second place. You can't always need to be at the highest point on the ladder, the top of the ladder, the highest achiever. I mean, you can't always be about being number one at everything you do and love people well. You have to choose to make the highest goal that you have is to love others. That's what you have to do. Because here's the thing. If you don't choose to be content being in second place, what you're going to end up doing is you're always going to be trying to be at the top of the ladder and you're going to be pulling other people down. And that's why he says you can't be for other people if you're constantly working to be at the top of the ladder. It's why some of you have a hard time forgiving an offense. And the reason you're always offended so easily is because you think someone's keeping you from being at the top of the ladder. But notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I want you to be content with being second place, quick to forgive an offense, forgive as quickly and completely as Christ forgave you. So the Apostle Paul, he reminds us, he says, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to understand. You're not always gonna get it right. So he says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to follow the example of your king. Because whenever we blew it in our relationship with him, he didn't blow us off. You know what he did? He canceled the debt quickly and completely. So he says, I want you to forgive as I have forgiven you. <clears throat> and then the apostle Paul, he just pulls all this back together. And he says, okay. What this all is a representation of is this one single solitary new command that Jesus gave to us. Jesus who came to reverse the order of things. Remember, here's how Jesus said it. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So the apostle Paul, he says it this way. And over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Literally, this is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, hey, this is what love looks like on you. It looks like compassion. It looks like kindness. It looks like gentleness. It looks like patience. It looks like humility. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, he's saying, listen, You become like whoever or whatever you follow. So if you're following Jesus, it's inevitable that you're gonna become more like Jesus. You'll inevitably learn to love like Jesus. You simply cannot follow a king who loved us like Jesus loved us and not learn to love this way yourself. In fact, one of the things I want you to think about is when people think about you. Whenever people think about you, what do they think about? Literally, Jesus' kind of love is what should come to your mind. Not this rule-keeping, not this religious kind of person in their mind who has all the right motions in place. You do the church thing, you have your Bible study routine, you have your small group routine, you have your prayer routine. No, what should come to the mind of people. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 14. He's saying, What should come to people's mind when they think about you is that you should be the most loving person in the community. They should think of you as, hey, that's one of the most loving people that I know. I mean, they're known for their compassion, their kindness, their humility, their gentleness, their patience. Now, do you know why this matters so much to every one of us? Because here's the thing. If all of your daily Bible reading and all your church attendance and all of your praying and all your generosity of giving of your time and your resources, and even when you go to that Christian counselor, if all of those things are not developing loving character, the Apostle Paul says, you're missing the point of what it really means to follow Jesus. Like we're failing to let our king use all of these life experiences to transform us and make us more like him in our character. But whenever we're focused on following Jesus and we're allowing him to shape us and every time we take another step, he encourages us to love like he loves with either compassion or patience or gentleness or humility. Whenever we do that, It changes our character to look more like him. And here's even the greater thing. When we start following Jesus, what it does is it focuses us on something completely different. In fact, you might want to write this down. Following Jesus focuses me on where I am rather than where you are not. See, following Jesus keeps me focused on growing to be more like him, not judging Because see, when I'm following Jesus, I don't don't have time to judge you because I understand there is this huge gap between how Jesus loves me and how I love other people. But if I think it's all about rule-keeping, then I'm going to quickly start judging. And that's why so many people who call themselves Christians, they're so judgmental because they think it's all about rule-keeping. But when I'm following Jesus... No, I'm not focused on rule keeping. I'm focused on my relationships with other people and how well I'm doing at loving them. So what happens is I become focused on the next step that I need to take to love others like Jesus loved me. Not the step that I think you need to take that you haven't taken. In fact... The more conscious I am of the work that God still has to do in me to help me to love everyone else like Jesus, the less critical I am of the work he still has to do in you. In fact, I started to change this, but I think you could literally say it. The more conscious I am of the work that God has to do in me to help me love like Jesus, then I wouldn't even be critical of the work he needs to do in you. Because see, what happens is, if I stop following Jesus, I immediately start judging the work that God needs to do in you. I start comparing how much farther I am at keeping this list of rules and this rituals and routine over here than what you do. And I forget how far I have to go when it comes to loving Jesus like Jesus loved me. But whenever I give up measuring my relationship with Jesus based upon rule keeping, but I start measuring my relationship with God based upon how well I love God and how well I love other people, the difference between you and me, it's not that great, is it? We all have plenty of room to grow when it comes to loving others like Jesus. So let me ask you two very kind of annoying and convicting questions. And these are for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ. And that is this. How well do you resemble your king in loving others? How well do you resemble your king? Would people say, as we sang this morning, man, there's no love like the king. Our king loved us. No other love like this. How well do you resemble your king in loving others? And then how well do you represent your king in loving others when you go to school when you go to work at home. How well do you resemble? How well do you represent? And I'm just gonna say, if there's not a strong resemblance because you're loving people as Jesus loved, what do you do? I wanna give you two simple steps to begin to practice this. First one, here it is. Pay attention. Begin to pay attention. Pay attention to those moments when God is nudging you. You're about to react, and you know your reaction is not... A loving reaction. You know that if Jesus was reacting to this, he wouldn't react the same way because it's not his kind of love. Pay attention to those nudges, those moments in your life. Pay attention to the times that when you want to respond naturally and Jesus is saying, hey, 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 I want you to respond supernaturally here. I want you to respond with compassion. I want you to respond with kindness. I want you to respond with gentleness. I want you to respond with humility. Pay attention to the work that he's attempting to do to transform your character to love more like he loves. And then second of all, I want you just to stay in step. See, you can't follow Jesus if you're not taking steps with him. And please don't miss this. Every step that you take on your journey with Jesus is going to be a call to love Jesus or love God. You could say it that way, to love God and to love people better. That every step is gonna include that. So many times people go, well, I don't know what God wants me to do next in my life. I'm not really sure. Here's what I can always promise you. In every step he's calling you to take, he's calling you to love God and to love people better. When he nudges, choose to follow that. Choose to react and respond his way, not your natural way. Choose, as I said, the supernatural over the natural response and reaction that you normally would have. So pay attention and stay in step. That's how you cooperate. And that's how you let Jesus begin to shape your character into his likeness. Because here's the thing, folks. Jesus is the king who left his throne and he showed up and he lived his life to model for us, not just to demonstrate what Jesus was like or what God was like, but to model that completely because he was God in human flesh. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was humble. He was gentle. He was patient, even when we did not deserve it. See, our king is the king who gave up his throne and then he gave up his life. He died on a cross for his subjects. So our challenge today is just to commit to loving each other like Jesus loved us. I mean, that's how we measure how closely we resemble his character. And some of you are sitting here thinking, you're going, yeah, but you know what? If I live like this, I'm just gonna get run over. I would just be a doormat. And Paul, you you must live in this, like this little pastor bubble kind of thing. And you're surrounded by all these really nice people that never take advantage of you or try to take advantage of you. But in my world, if I loved like this, I would get taken advantage of all the time. Nope, this isn't being weak. And this isn't being unproductive. In fact, let me remind you, the guy who wrote this passage, Colossians, that we just looked at, it was the guy who started over a dozen churches in a culture that was totally opposed to what he was doing. He spread the message of Jesus throughout the known world and he wrote half of the New Testament. So loving with this kind of love, it did not make the Apostle Paul less productive. No, what it did is it actually guided him to be more productive. Don't miss what I just said there. It guided him to be more productive. You know why? Because see, whenever you love like this, you don't have all the drama in your life that you normally deal with because you got all these relationships issues because you didn't love people well and you don't have all these conversations in your head that are going on because you didn't love people well and you're all worried about what's gonna happen and how it's gonna happen you're trying to figure out how you're gonna manipulate the situation or make the situation work out. No, when you love like this, it makes you more productive because you have less drama in your life. So, my challenge to you is let's commit to inviting God into the core of our being to change our attitudes and our emotions and our character, not just say, God, we want you over here to solve our problems and just be a blesser in our lives. No, let's cooperate with Him and let Him do the work that He wants to do in our lives to help us resemble Him and love like Him, because after all, that is the new command in this new kingdom that we're are part of as followers of him so let's choose to follow Jesus and take every next step that he's going to invite us to which always includes loving God and loving people better I mean after all he's the king who invited you into this new kingdom and once you accept this invitation the new command that he gave us is to live a life of loving others like him anything less than that is not following him And that's incredibly challenging, isn't it? Which means I have to come before God all the time. God, God, I want to, I miss it every day. In fact, when I begin to understand that this thing of loving Jesus, or loving people the way Jesus loved me, that's a sin. I just started going before God and saying, Jesus, I'm the chief of all sinners in the world. Do you know how many times I went through today where my attitude, my actions, my reactions didn't reflect that? And when you begin to see that, man, that's my challenge in life. I don't have time to look around and see how everybody else is living their life. But this is the new command for the king who started a new kingdom and he reversed the order of everything. By the way, let me tell you, If you ever choose to live this way, it's the richest way you can live. The the, the benefit is amazing beyond anything you ever imagine. And it just totally is the most productive way to live because you have lust drama in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I really pray that you help us understand that you are the king who came to reverse the order of everything. And you gave us this new command. I want you to love others as I loved you. And that included everybody. I ask you to forgive us for the many times each day that we sin against you and others by not loving this way. So we're asking for your Holy Spirit's power to empower us to love this way. It's the only way we can do it. Help us to know your love so well that we can just let it flow through us so that we can be people this week who are filled with compassion, no matter what someone did, but we can pause to feel what they're feeling, that we can be people of kindness, that we'll help them get out of the ditch, We just won't say nice things, but we'll help them get out of the ditch even if they got themselves there, that we'll be people of humility to understand, we all have equal value. But we we'll be people of gentleness and patience. God, I, I just ask that your Holy Spirit just empower every one of us as we lean into you because we're desperate for you. It's the only way we can live this out. We cannot live it out without you infilling us every day and us leaning into you every day. But I thank you that you indwell us and therefore you give us the strength and the ability to do that. So we're trusting you as we step in to our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and we choose to follow you by living out the new command to love others as you have loved us. Jesus, I thank you for the way it's gonna change our lives. (laughs) Thank you for the way it's gonna remove so much drama That's gonna make us even more productive. God, I thank you that your way is the wise way and life is better when we follow you because we're better at life. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. Amen. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll see you next Sunday as we finish up the series.